You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Billy Malden is the president of Motor Racing Outreach, a ministry that reaches drivers, cruise chiefs, owners, mechanics, and everyone else involved in motor racing with the support, whether it's providing a weekly chapel service or other things that a typical church would do. MRO serves as the church for the various series in motorsports. Founded in 1988 by Max Helton as an outreach to people in the highest level of NASCAR, it now covers the three levels of NASCAR Premier Racing Series. It was founded or partnered with Max were three NASCAR drivers, Daryl and Michael Waltrip and Lake Speed and their families. And MRO now has 10 full-time staff members among those three racing series. Billy joined MRO staff in 1998, 1999, excuse me, as the director of support services. And he has served as the president since 2001. Billy, welcome to Sports Connections. Thank you, glad to be with you. So talk about how you got involved, first of all, in racing in general and, and then with motor racing outreach. Yeah, I actually got involved in racing, period, through motor racing outreach. As a kid, I grew up more interested in stick and ball sports, uh, particularly basketball was probably my number one passion. And um, it was while I was working as a uh, assistant youth pastor at a church in Charlotte, Central Church of God, that I was introduced to motor racing outreach. Okay. Uh, started out as a volunteer. And I was working in a form of racing called Legends Racing mm -hmm. out here at Charlotte. And uh, so that was really my first exposure to any type of, uh, uh, of racing at all. Like I said, it just wasn't a part of my childhood. It wasn't something I was that interested in growing up, even though I grew up, was born and raised here in Charlotte, which is in the middle of NASCAR country. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just wasn't on my radar. But, uh, you know, God does things and takes you places sometimes that uh, you would at least expect. And that was probably one of the cases for me. Now, does your blood have uh, 98 octane <laughs> kerosene in it now? I mean, is it is it motor racing fuel or, or do you still have interest in the other sports? Oh, I still have interest in all sports. I've really grown to appreciate particularly NASCAR racing. That's where I've primarily been involved, although I've, I've had the opportunity to minister in motorcycles as well as boat racing. Um, but primarily NASCAR is where I've been. And I have really come to appreciate it. Um, what I didn't know as a kid um, about the sport, um, having been around it and seen it, I tell people, I said, you know, you may not think you're a NASCAR fan, um, but if you will come to one race with me and hear the uh, cars start up their engines yeah. and take those first uh, a uh, couple of laps and the green flag drop and you hear them all accelerate coming out of turn four headed down towards uh, turn one. Um, there's nobody that you may not become a hardcore fan, yeah. but you'll sure love it and you'll appreciate uh, what racing is. It's definitely one of those sports that it, it's good to watch on TV, yeah. but it's totally different when you experience it in, per in person and you're a level to appreciate your ability to appreciate it. Yeah, I, I can attest to that personally. I started becoming interested in NASCAR through my son, who was more into it than I was. And I noticed that, you know, we had a rule, whoever got to the TV first, we had one TV. So, you know, that person controlled the remote. And on Sundays, I'd be watching football. And, you know, if he'd get into the house after church first, he'd turn on to NASCAR. And I noticed that I wasn't switching it off when he'd leave the room. Um, and so when I went to work for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in, in 1999, I wanted to incorporate 
beyond just the student athletes, I wanted to cut incorporate more sports in that and went to a, went to the Brickyard, uh, yeah. Brickyard 400. And the next year I took my son and my wife and daughter. And my son was like, uh, ninth grade, 10th grade, something like that. My daughter, two years younger. And I took my wife just because I wanted her to go on the trip with us, knowing she had zero interest in racing. And through some, some connections that we had with FCA, we got to go in, in one of the um, things on the inside front straightaway. They have all those suites. Yeah. Absolutely. And we watched practice from one of those. And my wife was just enamored with even just the practice and the sounds of that. So I managed to get tickets to the, um, to the, the Bush at back then, the Bush race at uh, Indianapolis Raceway Park. My son and I actually had uh, infield passes through you guys. Uh, and I had made the connection with Max the year before. Um, so we were watching the race from the infield, which is a great place to watch it. Absolutely. And my wife and da daughter, you know, uh, IRP is like a half mile oval. So they're at the end of, of turn four. And so after the race ended, I, I said to my son, all right, let's go face the music. Let's see what mom really thinks of this. And she, you know, the line of people waiting to come down the aisle, she was skipping that. She was running down the bleachers. That was so cool. She just couldn't get over it. And driving home from Indianapolis to Kansas City, if we'd see a car, a disabled car on the side of the road, she goes, oh, it looks like somebody blew a tire and turned four. I'm like, who are you? And she had experienced it one time. And we still watch races together. So I think you're right. Being there in person is just unlike maybe any other sport. Being there in person just gets you hooked on it. It is. The sights and the sounds, particularly of the sport, and what you can literally feel in the air with the energy and the electricity that's coming off both the cars and the fans is, that, yeah. is, is absolutely amazing and almost impossible to describe. And it really yeah. just doesn't totally transfer through television or radio. Um, but interesting, you mentioned IRP. That's one of the tracks that we haven't been to in a while that many in our sport really miss. That was a special place to go racing, as obviously Indy was. But everybody thinks how excited it is to go to Indy. But as a sport, we loved IRP. Oh, yeah. And, uh, there's many that would love to go back there tomorrow. I'll, I'll tell you how long ago that it was there. Uh, Dale Jr. was in the Bush Series. That's been a while. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since we raced at IRP. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, uh, there's many in the sport that haven't forgotten it would go back there tomorrow if they could. Yeah. But now, speaking of Dale, uh, talk about his dad. The public persona of a race car driver is a tough, self-sufficient dude focused only on winning the next weekend's race. The, the line in Talladega Nights is second place is first loser. But that's not necessarily true. These these drivers have lives away from the track, including family issues and question, even questions about their own mortality, like every other human being. Talk about the different ways that MRO helps the drivers. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for those that may not be as familiar with it, um, th there's not a there's not a driver that doesn't want to win. Right. And that's what makes them successful. And they probably have not gotten up to one of the premier series, whether it's truck, uh, Xfinity or cup, unless they're driven to win. Right. And um, so with that also, though, comes a realization that um, there's more to winning than just your own desire. Uh, there's the equipment and the people that surround you. And right. there's a lot of key elements to it. 
And so as you climb that ladder at the same time, you begin to recognize the reality of what you can potentially accomplish on any given day. So for ourselves, um, like for my, just speaking for myself, when I'm watching a race any given weekend, whether it's any one of those three series, I'm watching it from this perspective. I know who the seven, eight, nine drivers are that really want to win because they know they can win. But at the same time, I also know of other drivers that would be happy if they could get a top 10 yeah, or if they could get a top 20. Uh, they just understand the reality of what it's, uh, what they're in, the equipment that they have, uh, the funding that they have available to them, what their sponsors' expectations are. So it's a little bit more complicated than, uh, thank goodness, than what Talladega Nights, for example, <laughs> uh, tries to portray. But um, when it comes to that, then what you also begin to realize to answer your question is the men and women in our sport, whether they're drivers or crew members, media, PR, officials, um, they're living in this um, this bubble that gets a lot of media attention. Obviously, the drivers and right. chiefs and team owners get the most and it trickles down. But everybody's sort of in this platform world. And uh, with it comes a lot of pressure. Uh, there's pressure to uh, succeed. Uh, there's pressure to be good. Uh, even if you're a hauler driver that's transporting the equipment to and from the track, right. you're probably looked at as uh, having a job that's highly coveted by others. Wow, I would like to drive for yeah. Joe Gibbs Racing, even if it's just their hauler. And so, you know, you got to perform at a high level, everybody, media, PR, crew guys. So that comes with a lot of pressure. And so if you take that pressure environment and then you also add to it the amount of time people spend away from homes, yeah. um, there's a lot of folks that work on the road, businessmen, women, they'll leave on Friday and they'll travel and do their job and come back on Friday or whatever. Um, that's not necessarily uncommon, but being gone on the weekend is a little bit more unusual. Right. Most of society does community and family on the weekends, not during the week. So for a lot of our community, you miss out on some of what's more of the traditional cultural norms. Mm -hmm. And that can be tough as well. Sure. Wives, for example, have to do a lot of stuff on the weekends without their husbands. Birthday parties, sporting right. events, family events, church even. And um, that's not always easy. And it can create a lot of uh, uh, stress on marriages and parent-child relationships. So when you add the, the, the separation, the distance that it creates for folks, along with the pressure of the competition of the sport, the pressure to perform, um, it, it can wear on people. It can be really tough. And you'll have to make some uh, very important decisions as to how you're going to handle all of that. Um, we're there to help them see that the best way to handle it um, is through their faith, uh, through their relationship with Christ. Um, some of the alternatives, as society knows in general, is, you know, alcohol, drugs, uh, you know, other forms of coping, coping mechanisms to deal with frustrations or angers or fears. Yeah. So, you know, we're in the middle of all of that um, being the light to remind people that there are good, healthy decisions and ways to deal with the very real challenges of their lifestyle. It's interesting that my first connection, as I mentioned, uh, with MRO was through Max, and and um, I was I was I don't know if amazed is the right word, but but surprised how many uh, 
the high, the percentage of people involved in motor racing out in, in motor racing uh, are believers. How many people? And and you know the easy answer is well because the drivers especially are dealing with the fact that the next turn may be the end of their life. But it's it's not just it's not just the drivers. It's the crew chiefs. It's the mechanics. It's the haulers hauler drivers. It's all those uh, all those people. Part of it is the fact that it's it's a sport that is hugely popular in the Bible Belt, and it's obviously spreading. But is that still the case that there's a a, a high percentage of people involved in the sport that are believers? Yeah, it is. Um, you know what I'll always tell everybody is, you know, you have believers, and then you have a spectrum of believers who are passionately about growing in their faith in Christ to right. those that you know uh, want to just identify with their faith because of the way they have grown up or the way they were raised or whatever. Um, Very little of it has to do with fear of death. I'll be honest with you. I mean, a lot of people would assume that Um, to me, that's probably uh, maybe a little more relevant for, for uh, military chaplains and situations they encounter, particularly when they're downrange, more real life stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. Our sport is dangerous. Yes, they get it. But for those that are in our sport that practice their faith, I would say that there's probably and that are passionate about it. There's two two contributing factors. One, um, you know, they've just had a real life experience with Jesus Christ and they want to know him more. Um, They're not that they're afraid of dying. They want to live life now. Um, You know, so that would probably be one of the biggest reasons for that. Mm -hmm. And it has been our presence. I mean, we're we're going on 30 plus years in the garage area. We've gone through probably three to four cycles or generations of drivers. Uh, Some of them that are in the process of retiring right now were just getting started when I got started with MRO. And so I think in God's goodness, MRO has been able to be there as part of their lives. When you travel and you live together, like we do, there's not a whole lot else that you do. You go to the track, you race and Oh yeah, by the way, there's MRO there for you and your family to enjoy and and take advantage of. Um, You know, I I think it's just been God's presence through us over the years, combined with what God's done uniquely in their hearts and in their own lives that has made it the way that it is where there is so many people that um, want MRO there. They, they believe in what we're there to represent and the way in which we're there to serve them. Um, they don't have a problem praying before the race, whether it's publicly right. or privately. They want to be involved in Bible studies. They want to learn. They want to grow. Like I said, there's varying degrees, just like you would in any community. And, and that's true beyond the drivers uh, i yeah you know mro is not just about the drivers uh, and i've been to as i mentioned to you earlier i've been to a few mro chapels on race day uh, and there's representative from every aspect of race teams mechanics to crew chiefs to whoever and how do you support the peripheral team members who don't necessarily get the media attention is it basically the same you're there as to guide their family yeah, exact same way. There's nothing that's not available to one that's not available to all as far as what we um, what we're able to provide as far as our services go. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's been really interesting that, you know, when you really break down what we do on a race weekend, 
Um, you know, we, most people know we have chapels and then we pray on the line, but what most people wouldn't know is, you know, the folks that are specifically involved with the, the mountain and unmounting of tires to Goodyear folks, we do things just for them. We do mm. things just for the coach drivers. We do things just for wives. We have things that are just for crew members, a special time of prayer on pit road for them. So, you know, we realize that at a racetrack, people have varying schedules. Like right. Everybody can't do everything at the same time. We may offer chapel at two o'clock when some teams are still pushing their car through tech, mm-hmm. trying to get them inspected and get them out on the grid. So yeah. they may not be able to go to chapel, but we'll go meet up with them out on pit road before the race and talk with them and pray with them. And so there's a whole there's a whole variety of things going on, but at the core of it all is our presence. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just being there at the track from the time the people show up till the time the people leave and seeing what needs emerge beyond just the traditional services that we provide that we can be there to help. Yeah. And, and that, that's my next question is, um, you know, people know that you guys have a huge presence when there's a tragedy, you know, we recently at, with, with the Daytona 500 celebrated, celebrated, commemorated the, uh, the 20th anniversary of Dale Earnhardt's death and, and all that went into that. And really it was a look at the growth of the sport and safety of the sport uh, in the subsequent years. So tragedies bring the most attention to what you do, but it's just, I, I you know, I, I know we're probably repeating ourselves here, but it's just, it's just being there. You know, I, I've done hospital visitation for people in my church and they're like, I just appreciate you being here. It's not anything I said. It's not any, it's not, you know, did I bring them a meal or whatever? It's just being there. And that's really the biggest thing that you do is you're there for them. So if they have a need, they know they can count on you. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. So when we, go to the track, which hopefully we'll be back again soon. Like a lot of folks, we're supporting the COVID measures to keep everybody safe within our sport. So we actually have not been in the track since uh, last March, but hopefully that's going to change soon. But, but when we are somebody, people ask me, you know, what, what really has the most impact in your ministry? What do you do that has the most impact? And I'll tell them, I said, you know, whether it's, um, you know, whatever series it is, it doesn't matter. It's just being in and around the garage area, present, walking, making circles, making laps around the garage area Mm -hmm. so that men or women, no matter what their role is, what their job is, when they see you, they can stop you. Yeah. Because if something's going on in their lives that they're concerned about, they're worried about, they need help with, or if they just want to, you know, somebody to tell you a great story that's happened in their life or something. Yeah. They'll stop you when they can. Yeah. It's the difference in being in a workplace, but typically the most effective ministry takes place leaning up against the corner of a building or a stack of tires, or when somebody calls you to come into their motor coach or something like that, because they just saw you out there and present. Um, And so we don't always go to the track, with a minute by minute agenda, we have some core things yeah. that we know we're there to do, but the left is the rest is pretty much left open. Yeah. And just being present and being visible so people can grab us when they're ready. Yeah, I want to talk about the the original years, the original purpose behind this. Um, 
And, and first of all, just as an aside, is there a better name for a guy in his particular sport than Lake Speed in NASCAR? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I was going to be a NASCAR, I would change my last name to Speed. I mean, that is just perfect. But uh, anyway, the, the original thing when, when Max, and I guess Max was a, a, a pastor in California and got the idea somehow, I don't remember all the details, but got the idea that this was something he could do. Was it really like it is now where it was just be there, be present, or, or did he have ideas on doing chapels and, and doing these other things and the, the presence idea developed, which, which came first, I guess? I think the presence was also the core, it's always been the core uh, purpose of the ministry and recognizing that nothing else is going to happen unless you're not there, unless you're not, and if you're not listening and paying attention to what's going on around you. Um, You know, what what happened early on, interestingly enough, is, uh, you know, you you mentioned Lake Speed and his wife, Risa, Daryl and Stevie uh, Waltrip. Uh, Bobby and Kim Hillen was a part of MRO getting started. I remember Bobby, yeah. As well as Phil and Marsha Parsons. Interestingly enough, when MRO started, God was was doing things in each of those couples and individuals' own lives, not necessarily known to each other. Huh. Okay, and so as God was working in their individual lives and in their individual marriages and so forth, then they began to connect it to track over what God was doing. And then what emerged out of that was, well, what are we going to do to continue to grow in our faith since we're at the track on weekends? Yeah. How are we going to facilitate that? And um, it was actually through uh, another ministry called Professional Athletes Outreach and Norman Bobby Evans that was introduced to uh, uh, Daryl and Stevie Waltrip one weekend at a race track. And uh, they met and Daryl and Stevie Waltrip liked Max and Max was interested in doing this. And initially Max was going to move to Daytona, Florida. And when, uh, when uh, Daryl and Stevie learned of what his plans were, they helped him understand that he needed to redirect up here towards Charlotte, North Carolina, because that's where actually everybody lived. Right. And so Max packed up his family and everybody and moved from California and uh, came here to, to begin ministering in the racing community with the help of Daryl and Stevie and some of the others and professional athletes outreach um, support. And it just kind of grew, grew from there. But initially, all it was was a Bible study on Friday nights at the racetrack. Okay. Max wouldn't even stay for the races. Hmm. He would literally drive from Charlotte to wherever they were racing, do a Bible study on Friday night in the hotel room, and come back home. Hmm. That was it. And through a different series of events, which involved some trauma and some other things, then it began to grow to more of an at-track presence, chapels on race days and other things like that, children's programming and things that we do do now. But it, it, it started out as started out as a Bible study on Friday night. So, I mean, I think that's an important thing for people uh, to remember, sometimes we want to start new things in the biggest and grandest way when yeah. some of the most impactful things with longevity start in the most simplest of fashions. Yeah. And, and you mentioned some of those things. Just talk about the different things that you do. And obviously, pandemic has shut them down temporarily. We hope very soon uh, you'll be able to be back there. But I know a few times I've been to races uh, up close 
that, you know, there's kid, there's usually a little oval where the kids are racing their tricycles around, you know, and, and there's, you know, there's activities for the little kids and just talk about some of the peripheral things that you do even during a race uh, for the families of the people involved. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the biggest uh, things that developed over the years, what we call our motor racing outreach community center, which is basically a trailer that we take to the track with us each week that opens up that has an outdoor area underneath a tent where kids can play and do crafts. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad can hang out with their kids with them. And then inside there's an area where we can do what we call um, Bible club, which is just sort of a, an every weekend version of vacation uh, Bible school for yeah. those maybe familiar with that. But um, what it has done over the years is allowed uh, for there to be a place at the track. And, and this is pretty much more towards those that travel week in and week out and live in their motorhomes at the track to have a place to go, to hang out, yeah. for the kids to do things and have fun while they're at the track, even for us to be able to watch them during the race. So mom can maybe spend time on pit road, um, on the pit box or whatever it is that she may want to do. Um, and that's been one of the things that's helped families more than anything within our sport to be together, to be able to travel together, to be at the track and to not be as much separation. Um, you know, as that's going on, though, during the race, um, our chaplains are walking up and down pit road. Uh, you can't do a lot of talking. It's very loud, right. obviously. Yeah. Uh, but eye contact can be very powerful. Smiles can be very powerful. Uh, just being around and uh, and so moving up and down pit road and, and uh, uh, letting them know that you're there and that you're thinking about them uh, is a big part of it. And obviously this is all uh, taking place after we've done chapel services for each mm -hmm. of the racing series on their individual race days. So, you know, if, if all three series trucks, Xfinity and Cup are racing, we've done three chapel services that week uh, right after driver's meetings for each one of those uh, series, you know, each given track, there may be some other special events that go on. We'll do fall festivals and yeah. different things like that. So the community can come together. Bible studies will take place uh, uh, right before COVID hit. We would do a Bible study on the weekend with a number of the different drivers that are there, as well as a Bible studies for a number of the different wives and girlfriends that were there. So mm -hmm. anything that's going on in a local church, odds are we're, we're doing it. We just don't have a building. Yeah. We don't have a place for people to come to. We just go to them, but provide all the same services. And and the other difference is that they all live, I mean, not live together, but I mean, it's it's a traveling, I don't want to say traveling circus, but it's a traveling show. You can say it. You can where say it. <laughs> it, maybe it is a circus. <laughs> but it's a traveling show where it's the, you know, maybe, maybe Billy Bob, and I hate to do the stereotype, but Billy Bob wrecked Jimmy Joe last week and now they're sitting next to each other and their wives are sitting next to each other in the chapel service or something like that. I would imagine there's positives and negatives to being such a tight knit community. So first let's talk about the positives from MRO standpoint of having that the same group of people at every track. Oh, I mean, you know, if, if you're a, a local pastor that's out there watching this, just imagine being able to live with the families in your church full time. Yeah. The, the opportunity to build credibility and relationship and for them to become comfortable with you if they're new or whatever it's been or to access, access you when they have time, yeah. you can't beat it. It's, it's absolutely 
the best. It's one of the reasons we too stay quite often at the track and motorhomes ourselves. So we can be there not only, you know, when stuff is going on in the track and when the garage is open, but later on when there's nothing going on in the track and the garage is closed and people are just hanging out and grilling out and doing whatever the case may be. Uh, It's a dream scenario for ministry. It's absolutely, like I said, the only thing that I know that would kind of come close to it as being a military chaplain and being embedded down range with your troops where you're right yeah. there in the, meet of, in the middle of the battle and heat of battle with them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, two drivers maybe have had a skirmish the week before. Absolutely. I've seen many a weekends where they may have gotten in a skirmish the week before, but the next weekend they're playing with their kids together underneath the tent because racing's racing, you know, at the end of the day, most of them work stuff out um, for the most part but there may be a driver that was let go of one team one weekend, uh, one year, the next year he's back in chapel sitting beside the team that let him go the year before. I mean, there's just so many different dynamics like that, that can potentially play out. Um, but at the end of the day, the chapel services and MRO presence has been the place where everybody can kind of come together and leave all that behind for a little bit and not have to think about racing or whatever yeah. racing does for them or to them, they can leave it all behind for a little bit, which is, uh, which is the good news and uh, uh, learn and experience God's presence in their lives, which can bring healing and health beyond all that other stuff. Well, what's the, what's the biggest need that you hear about? And I don't want, want you to get any, any specifics, obviously, but what's the most common thing that you hear from people involved in the sport that say, man, I, I really need some guidance with this? Oh, it's usually marriages. You know, we're struggling right now. Um, again, for all the reasons that I mentioned to you earlier, um, yeah. the separation and so forth. And uh, probably so, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my kids or how to be a better father, how to be a better mother. I don't feel like I'm, I'm connecting real well for them. Um, those would probably be the probably the two biggest ones. And then just uh, frustration, probably from lack of performance, you know, we're just not running well right now. We're not doing well. It's disappointing and I'm frustrated. So it's basically the same for every pastor in every church. It's no different. Fam- family issues and not doing well at work. <laughs> yeah, no different. Frust- frustration with that. Yeah. And I know right now you, you guys can't be back there, but once this, once that is possible, what will keep you going back to the track on a regular basis? Um, one reason only, and this may sound like, oh, yeah, right, whatever. But I just know it's where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Um, if I didn't feel that, I wouldn't do it. I'd be looking for whatever else it's supposed to be, uh, whatever else I'm supposed to be doing. So that, that's by far the number one reason. It's just that as hard as it is sometimes for myself to pack a suitcase and leave the house, I know it's what I'm supposed to be doing and to the people. Yeah. Um, the first by the first by, by, by and large, the number one reason, but, but also the people, you know, I, uh, I, I love this community that we have the opportunity to serve. Um, they're all different. They're all unique and they're all special. Yeah. And God's doing unique and special things in all their lives. And I enjoy the opportunity being a part of it. So if the average NASCAR fan, the average sports fan, maybe hasn't experienced NASCAR, but you can approach this either way. How do people, how can people help you do what you do, what you do, and how can they get involved? 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would do is go visit our website, motorracingoutreach.com. You'll learn a lot about what we're doing and what's going on there. Um, the interesting part about what we do, there's not a lot of people that can get access to it because, right. you know, you, you got to have credentials and so forth to get in. So like a lot of ministries, we don't have as many like volunteer opportunities, but beyond the shadow of a doubt, people that would be willing to put us on their list of, of ministries and organizations and people that they pray for. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. We would treasure that more than anything, but occasionally there's things that open up that people can do. So if they do, and if there's opportunities available, it's typically through our website. But if there's a race coming to your community and you want to see what motor racing outreach is doing in your community, that would be on your website? Yeah, if there's anything going on that anybody could be a part of, it'd be on our website, which the reason being is it's connected to our social media and everything and right. keep it updated. All right. Absolutely. Okay. You talked a lot about uh, about the family of NASCAR and about you know the reason you keep going back, the reason you're involved is the families and stuff. Talk about your own family. Oh, my goodness. I've got four kids, ages 21 to 12, two boys, two girls. Uh, my wife, Julie, and I met when we were at Appalachian State University in the mountains of North Carolina. Um, we uh, uh, have absolutely enjoyed raising our kids and uh, been fortunate enough to be able to take them on the road with me some when we travel and do some things like that. Uh, they're getting older now, so they're starting to develop their own interests. And they, especially with COVID, they haven't been able to travel with me as much. Sure. But uh, Julie holds down the fort on the home side when I am away on weekends and so forth. And uh, they help us out in the ministry. My two oldest boys are actually here right now in the office with me working on some, some videos and stuff for upcoming events that we have okay. uh, scheduled and planned. So uh, I'm, I'm a... Uh, I'm a very fortunate, blessed uh, family man with, like I said, four healthy kids and uh, who are able to be a part of my life and my ministry, um, but also uh, with a wife and a, and a mother who lets them live their lives, too, and do the things that they're interested in while I'm on the road. All right. And I always wrap up with this question, and you can talk about this personally, or you can yeah. talk about this from an MRO standpoint, if you prefer. I'd rather hear from you personally, but... Uh, some people like to have a cop out uh, opportunity. So, oh, so now you put me on. You already calling me a cop out. If I go <laughs> well, all right. I, yeah, I yeah, I guess I was. I, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to hear from you, but I did want to give you that opportunity, and I guess I shouldn't have called it a cop out. So, here's no, the question: no. What's your legacy? Um, I think when it's all said and done, um, that I was a person that people could look to that they knew was 100% committed and dependent upon his faith in the Lord and wanted other people to know it as well and to have that experience in their lives. Um, you know, I know Paul wrote later on in his life that his, that his purpose is to know him and the power of his resurrection, speaking with regards to Jesus and I remember the first time I ever read that, I thought, oh, wow, that answers a whole lot of questions for me. I like that purpose in life. And I want people, other people, I, I would love for my legacy to be that there's been a lot of other people that found that purpose for their life. So 
there's my non cop out answer. There, that's really good. You don't have you don't have to apologize for that one at all. And in the podcast that I've done, the best answer to that question was from Pro Football Hall of Famer Bobby Bell, who said, "I want to live my life so the preacher don't have to lie at my funeral." There you go. <laughs> that's a good one. I'll remember that one too. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Billy, it's been a pleasure to have you join us today. Uh, Appreciate what you're doing in the, in the sport, and I look forward to connecting with you in the future. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time. <laughs>